Hey everyone, welcome to your Pastor Reads Books, the podcast where you'll hear pastors from different backgrounds talk about their love of reading and the specific books that are shaping them to be wholehearted followers of Jesus and better givers of spiritual care to others. I'm your host, Heather Weber, and today my guest is Pastor Anna Thorson. Anna's a wife, mother, ordained minister, and writer. She and her husband have served Assemblies of God churches in Illinois, Iowa, and Texas for 18 years. They are currently in a pastoral transition, which has given her lots of time to catch up on her reading and to continue writing on her blog at agreatuntethering.com. Don't worry, it'll be in the show notes. Uh, In this episode, Anna and I talk about the importance of unpacking our history in order to be emotionally healthy in our present and future. Tara Westover's number one New York Times bestseller, Educated, is the memoir that inspired our conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Um, So Anna, welcome to the show. Hi, Heather. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to sit down with you today. I love this too, because you're a good friend and I know what you have to share is going to be great, Um, but you are an ordained minister. You have been in ministry for years and years and years. But one thing maybe not everybody in your life even knows about you is that you are a pretty prolific writer. Like you have been blogging for the last four years, sometimes in some seasons every day, now three or four times a week. And uh, like, tell me about that. Like what lights your fire for the blog and what, what keeps you writing? Well, I started writing in the fourth grade, if you can believe that. I had a language arts teacher. We did like a block. They were trying something out in the 90s where they gave us like 120 minutes of language arts time. And so for me, that afforded incredible opportunity to be creative with a pencil. And I had a teacher, Mrs. Karstens, who was just very encouraging in my love of writing and just gave me like copious amounts of time to write and even... We'd go to the computer lab. Other kids would get on the Apple IIe and play Oregon Trail and never played it. I sat and wrote (laughs) and freaked out when my floppy disk failed because I'd had 12 pages already written or whatever. So um, I have just been into language and reading and writing from a really young age. And actually, Mrs. Karstens still follows my blog. She subscribes today, which is just so fun. Yes, she's wonderful. So um, that's just been a dream of mine. I think I started dreaming about publication and like seeing my name in print, which sounds so prideful, but I just was so excited about producing something that others would value. Um, Probably junior high is when I really developed that uh, dream and started just, you know, thinking about how can I write something that will matter, you know? And so through my walk with the Lord and my love of scripture, uh, I started posting on Facebook, just, you know, at first it would be a couple of sentences and you can even look back on Facebook, uh, timeline and see, you know, eight or nine years ago, I'd post a few sentences and then a year or so would pass and it would get a little bit bigger. And then by about five years ago, you know, it was several paragraphs every day and friends were saying, Hey, why don't you start a blog? And why don't you really, you know, develop something with this? And, um, and so finally in a season of in between with ministry, I figured out how to do all that, researched it and started a, a blog and um, with my husband's help, of course, cause I'm not super technically savvy. (laughs) But um, yeah, so then I just started, you know, posting on a regular basis with 
that. That's so cool. Um, while you were talking, I was thinking, I feel like we had the same childhood. Like we had the computer lab with Oregon Trail and I also would go in and write really long stories around fifth, sixth grade um, and dreaming of publication as well. I knew I wanted a pretty and pink Barbie doll around age eight and I wanted to write a book. Um, so with the blog, what kinds of things are you write, writing about now? Is it mostly out of your time in scripture every day? Yes, it's very experiential and it's very scriptural. So I just find that the Lord speaks to me through scripture, but also just through the day to day. Like uh, I was working as a substitute teacher for a while and that played into it. When I travel, that plays into it. Raising children played into it. It just kind of depends on what's going on in my life and applying scripture to that. And so it really burst out of my devotional time in the morning. I'll get up long before the sun, get my cup of coffee, sit down with scripture. I'm typically doing a reading plan. I typically read through the Bible, you know, once a year or once every three years, kind of depending on the pace I'm at or how hard I'm pushing myself through uh, the text. But uh, I just will feel the Holy Spirit shed light on something. And um, I just feel like he speaks to me through my pen. Uh, But again, that sounds a little prideful, but I, I, that's how he relates with me. And it's so clear to me uh, when he's speaking. And so at first I kept these things to myself and then um, just, you know, in starts and stops started sharing that with the world around me. And then it's just really developed from there. Uh, Of course, typically a lot of those observations will, you know, wind up being in sermons at some point, although be birthed out of research for sermons or that kind of, that kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, he just has been very faithful to speak to me every time I open the word, you know, and I'm very grateful for that opportunity. Very special. I've always been amazed that like in the same morning, like the Holy Spirit could speak to you and then you would have an essay a couple hours later that you're sharing with everyone else. Like that just blows my mind. Um, So you're this prolific writer, but I think all writers are readers and probably start out as readers. So tell me about how your love for reading developed. Absolutely. This is a crazy deal. My mom was in seminary. So I'm a second generation ordained minister, female minister. Um, My mom was in seminary in Evanston, which is a suburb of Chicago in the 80s. And we lived in student housing at Garrett. And our home was broken into and someone stole our television, among other things. But the thing you really remember as a kid is that your TV got stolen. And so some time passed, my dad replaced the television. And within about 60 days, they came back and broke in a second time and stole a second television. Apparently, that's a that's a stick. I don't know. Wow. But so my dad was like, I am not going to replace a second or a third television, you know? And so um, he was just like, we'll just go without until we move out of Chicago. And so we did. So this was probably 83 to 86. I don't think we got a TV again until maybe 87 when we moved wow. to Southern Iowa. And so I was, you know, very formative at that point, learning to read and, you know, interact with books. And so that's, that's what cultivated my love for reading. And so by the time we actually had a television again, I had lost interest and I would way rather rather read a book and sit with my own imagination than watch something on a screen. And so I always think, 
wow, it's a really strange blessing that I learned to read and love reading because our television got stolen, which of course has blessed me for a lifetime. You know, I, there's literally like a chunk of 80s references that I just don't get because we didn't have a television. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Right. Okay. So no family ties, maybe no growing pains. So. A little earlier than that. But okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so a really neat thing that has cultivated my love of reading in the last couple of years is the library book club. I discovered this while I was trying to make connections at our church. And it's just was a part of our local library at 10 a.m. on Thursdays, women got together and discussed fiction books once a month. We'd all read the same book. We'd sit down and talk about it. And I was in the room. I was literally the youngest woman there. I'm in the room with 60, 70, and 80-year-olds. And these women are amazing. Amazing women have had amazing experiences. And they're just a wealth of knowledge because they've lived, you know, decades and decades. But they still had a posture of learning, like they still were reading things that they disagreed with, or that they wouldn't have naturally picked up out of their own interest, but because it was a part of this club. And so we would have the most fascinating discussions, they would share their own stories, their points of view, all of that kind of thing. And it was just exciting to me to think about entering the second half of life, and still being a learner. And as a pastor, it encouraged me to see women of this age still grappling with hard things and wanting mm. to grow. So I, I, it's kind of my new thing of like, if I can at all swing it, I want to find a book club where we read hard things that I disagree with so we can have great discussions. <laughs> and surely you didn't disagree with everything, but you're just saying like, oh, no. you want to just be stretching your mind, right? Like yeah. these are, these yeah. are goals. These are serious goals. Well, and those ladies are hard to find in church sometimes. Not everybody mm. still has a posture of growth, yes. you know, in their it's 60s true. and 70s. So just that mindset, being with those women, mm. encouraged me so much. Mm. When I say disagree, we live in Texas. The Alamo is a really big deal in Texas. And we read a book called Forget the Alamo. You can about imagine <gasps> <laughs> the level of outrage. Oh my gosh. So sacrilege, really. Okay. Robust discussion. Okay. That was a lot of fun. All right. Wow. So um, why don't you introduce the book that you're going to talk about today and just tell us a little bit about it. Um, this is a pretty well-known title. Yeah. It's called Educated. And it's funny how books come into your life at just the right time. I had actually heard about this book and gone to the work of reserving it, picking it up from the library and never cracked it in the two weeks before it was due. Because I usually a stack and then, you know, go from there. So it came back around on my radar, maybe a year or two later, and I just couldn't put it down. I think I read it in about three days. Uh, it just was so incredibly fascinating. It's a book about a young lady who grows up in rural Idaho, Idaho with a fundamentalist Mormon family, and her dad has undiagnosed bipolar disorder. So her father is painfully paranoid all the time that the government is going to come in and uh, shut them down, so to speak, turn them in. They're homeschoolers, but they're not homeschooling. Their kids don't have 
birth certificates. They aren't getting a formal education of any kind. They're certainly not enrolled in school. Uh, They don't even have social security numbers Mm -hmm. until they're 10 or so. And so the family just has an incredible fear of the government and it's, you know, perpetuated through the children. They don't know any different. They just live a very isolated lifestyle. Um, and they run a scrapyard. Uh, the dad practices, um, just unsafe work ethic with his children in the scrapyard. It's, it's a pretty traumatic upbringing as far as I can, Mm. you know, see from her perspective. But at the same time, she does a great job of not creating like a pity party. She's just kind of sharing the facts Mm. of her childhood and leaving the reader to decide was this good or bad, you know? Mm. And I appreciated that she wasn't just kind of sitting in her story. Woe is me. She was just explaining what happened. Um, so this whole family just kind of operates around bad scripts and abusive relationships, and they really work hard to keep their stuff secret from the world around them. Um, and they protect that family secret by discrediting anyone who attempts to be a truth teller. Mm. And so for me, this book really spoke volumes to me because it was almost like a magnification of my own childhood. Uh, My dad also was undiagnosed bipolar and uh, did not get a diagnosis until he was probably 50 and I was out of the house Mm. Um, and just living with those mood swings, living with uh, the anger or the shadow of anger, knowing that anger could happen, you know, at any point, Um, the aggression and, um, the lack of, you know, protecting your children from harmful things. Hmm. uh, All of that just felt very, very familiar. And then the mother's role, you know, she's trying to keep the peace. She's trying to keep the home from imploding. She's trying to bring in an income. All of that was just so, so familiar Hmm. for me. There were lots of points where I just had to stop reading and take notes as I was kind of considering uh, the implications in my own story that were so similar to what was happening in this memoir. So in some ways it was painful in other ways. I felt like it unlocked, you know, a chest of things that I hadn't given myself room and breath to think about. Mm. Uh, And that was really helpful Uh, in this season of transition that Rob and I have been in. We've spent a lot of time thinking about, uh, emotional and spiritual health. And we've been reading a lot of Pete Scazzaro. And in that, he wants you to go backwards to move forwards. He wants you to kind of unpack your past so that you can be healthier in your present and in your future. And I've struggled with that because, because my own childhood, I had suppressed so many things um, or disassociated from so many things, really just didn't have memories of things mm. because it was too hard to think about going through this book just reawakened a lot of those things. Mm. And it's at a good season in life for me to kind of dig through and go, yeah, that wasn't normal. <laughs> and that wasn't yeah. right. And, and um, those are hard things to think about. But I felt like this book really helped me process some of my own story and unresolved childhood things. Mm. Wow. So for people listening who may not have heard of Peace Gazero, he's kind of, he's popularly known as the author of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, 
And so this principle that you talk about needing to go back in order to go forward is something that he teaches, right? Right. Um, So uh, like, how do you feel that a life of following Christ is impacted when you don't take the time to go back in order to go forward? Um, if you didn't have this opportunity, like what's, what's at stake, I guess? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Uh, he talks about us being icebergs. And, you know, I think it's funny that it's that particular word. My dad actually talked about icebergs a lot <laughs> and glaciers a lot. My dad was really into science. And so we had a lot of discussions about, you know, natural science in our household growing up. Mm. But but Pete talks about icebergs and how humans are icebergs and that we just have this you know, little tiny bit at the top 10% that's showing to the world. And then we have all this hidden and really frozen underneath you know we have all these experiences that just add up and compound and and it's hard to unpack that uh for other people of course because it's all under the surface all under water but for us if we don't know what we're carrying around we may not know why something hurts when someone bumps into us we may not know why we react a certain way when maybe we should be responding a certain way instead we we may not know why something's triggersome for us or or really for me just how would a healthy person do this instead, mm. you know? And so when we can unpack our, our history and not just childhood history, but I mean, I'm well into my fourth decade, mm-hmm. you know, life history, because life just compounds, you know, if we, yeah. if we can't unpack it and, and process it, then we're, we're really doomed to repeat it. We're really doomed mm-hmm. to, to add on to that and pile on more, more pain and more hurt. And so if we can unpack it, we can kind of understand, oh, my temptation is to react to this way, but really the Holy Spirit is going to help me learn how to respond this Mm. way instead. So Mm -hmm. would it be too personal uh, for you to share an example of something that you felt like you unpacked that, uh, you know, like, like maybe it would illuminate this a little bit for people like, um, where you might have been doomed to repeat, you know, a cycle of thinking or a cycle of behavior and how unpacking it just sort of like arrested that cycle. Yeah, I'm pretty much an open book uh, most of the time. So um, so I'm a middle child. I have an older brother. Uh, he, he's passed away now, but he's two years older than me. And he was quite reckless and uh, very big charismatic personality and he caused a lot of challenges for my parents parentally and then I have two younger siblings the one that's three years younger than me and then one that's 11 years younger than me and um, because of my upbringing uh, I was the one that was put in charge because my brother was so irresponsible and reckless I was the responsible one Mm. and so I've been put in charge of my younger sisters and brother, but I was also, you know, told to be responsible for my older brother, which in hindsight, no one was responsible for him. <laughs> my parents couldn't get control of him, you know? So it became Anna takes care of everyone. Anna's the peacemaker. Anna, you know, is the responsible one. Anna's going to make sure the job gets done or mm. the meal gets on the table or the laundry gets taken care of. And mm. um, because my parents, uh, very much like Tara's parents, the, the author of Educated, they just lived in 
fantastical places. My my mm. dad didn't have a scrapyard, but he had 93 cars when he died. So we kind of had that oh. same sort of dynamic there, you know. And my mom, uh, very, very educated, brilliant lady, uh, was a minister, but also spent so much of her time, you know, kowtowing to my dad. And so they just were living their best lives, whatever that meant. And, um, but meanwhile, they had four kids. And so I was, you know, built in babysitter and mm. that kind of thing. And so even as an adult, when my family gets together, I still just slide back into that role of being the caregiver and the the peacekeeper, you know? And so that's been hard to break out of, Hey, that was never my responsibility. Mm. You know, that was my parents' responsibility. Mm. And, um, you know, I've had to learn, like, I can't keep everybody happy. I Mm. can't make everything right for everyone. I, um, I have to take care of Anna once in a while and put the oxygen mask on and have healthy boundaries. And that's been a big process. I would say the last 10 years I've been learning how to do that uh, better. And it's still my gut to get in there and take care of everyone, Mm. but that's just not reasonable. You know? Right. Yeah. I was going to ask you, like, how hard has that been to reckon with? And and yeah. you're saying it's, it's a lifelong process, really. It is. It is. And I think there are just proclivities that we have, whether they're personality or, you know, nurture upbringing proclivities, things that we're going to wrestle with our whole life. And for me, it's, you know, people pleasing and, and trying to keep the peace. Uh, and I recognize that. And so because I recognize that now I can be more uh, in tune when the Holy Spirit's like, Hey, is that me or is that you? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And so I just have to be really aware of that. And you know, that success depends on how tired I am that day and how in tune I am with the Lord and how, you know, how well I've been taking care of myself in the days preceding and things like that. I imagine too, like you're not saying it, but and tell me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine that this can also play out in ministry as a pastor. If, if, if you didn't deal with this issue, um, how easy would it be then to just extend that family dynamic to church dynamic? And I've got to make everybody happy. And is that something you relate to? For sure. I, I know you and I have had discussions about Enneagram before, but I am a two, which is the helper. That's literally what they call mm-hmm. my personality mm-hmm. number. And so, yeah, it can really cause problems. You can value every voice equally. And that's not necessarily a good thing because some voices are just unhealthy, mm-hmm. you know, and learning to figure out where those boundaries are and, and how certain people will just use you up um, mm-hmm. or take advantage of you. That, that's a really hard lesson for someone who's built like I am and someone who has the, the past history that I do. I bet. I bet. So knowing what you know about this need to just unpack our past, like how does that inform how you pastor people and how does that make you just better as a giver of spiritual care? Yeah, I try to have a more whole person approach. So one of the things that I really love and appreciate about reading is that it helps me step into this shoes of other people that think differently than me and just experience the world from another person's perspective. And so with that said, I'm learning to understand the Imago Dei is a real 
real principle that I need to function in uh, as a pastor, understanding that every person that comes to my presence has been created in the image of God. And it is my joy and responsibility to work at uncovering that, to celebrate even uncovering that. And, you know, I, I like to think of fingerprints can get really dirty. You know, if you're in mud or clay or, um, makeup or whatever, you can, you can almost lose the fingerprint if you've got enough mm. yunk on your finger. And I think people are like that too, that they can, they can get so, um, wounded and, um, hurt by the world that they can almost, almost cover that Imago day. And it's the joy of pastoral ministry to help uncover that again and, and figure out how God's made them and what's unique and wonderful about them and, and recognizing that every person is a treasure simply because they're carrying the image of God. And so that's really helped me in ministry to value the people that I'm working with and to mm-hmm. enjoy that process. And um, just to appreciate where different people are coming from and how their experiences have shaped them and, and encourage them to be willing to dig into some of those things. Mm. I often go too deep, too fast. That is my struggle in relationships. And, uh, but some people really appreciate it. You know, some people don't, I'm not everybody's cup of tea. And I know that, (laughs) (laughs) but the people that stick with me wind up, you know, really enjoying that growth process of uncovering, okay, who's God really made me to be and what has stuck to me, what has gotten in the way of really displaying his image in my life, mm, you know? That's good. And you used, I think it's a Latin phrase, right? Imago Dei. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and so for people listening who maybe aren't familiar with it, it means image of God, right? So you're right. talking about that each, I love that idea of a fingerprint that you shared and how, you know, when our fingerprints get caked with mud, you can't really see that print very easily. And that pastoring in some ways is kind of like, I don't know, maybe excavation process is the wrong word, but, but, but kind of like helping people like unearth themselves, right? Like from all the baggage that they've carried and, the sin they've carried, um, healing, you know, receiving healing for the wounds that they've received in their lives. Um, that's really cool. And, and, you know, to, to put yourself in a situation where you're reading, you're wanting to get different points of view, uh, different perspectives on the world. I think it just also cultivates compassion in us as pastors, right? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I feel like that's the one thing I really do, you know, bring to the table in pastoring is that compassion, sometimes even to a deficit, a personal deficit, because the thing with compassion is you can't hardly shut it off unless you harden your heart. And the thing in ministry is that we're, we have to maintain a soft heart or we become, you know, ineffective. So it's just Mm -hmm. this, this ongoing balance that we're trying to achieve. You know, mm-hmm. of, of being compassionate, but not being wounded, you know, oh, and yes. <laughs> that's an everyday challenge for me because I do care so deeply. But I also look at Christ and see someone who cared so deeply and suffered so much on behalf of others mm-hmm. and still maintained his identity and maintained who he was created to be, you know, and fulfill his purpose. So I'm like, if Jesus could do it, then he can help me do it. 
Yeah, that's really beautiful. I wish more ministers sort of carried that, uh, carried that. That's, I don't, I'm not even saying it right. I'm losing my words, but like to realize that to be in ministry is to suffer, but Christ can help us keep our hearts soft and have compassion for those that we're caring for is just, it's really beautiful. And it really is what the task of pastoring should be. Absolutely. We went to Israel in 2019 and one of the most meaningful places we visited was actually the Rock of Agony, which I hadn't even heard of before we got there. But of course it's, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, I think it's the Church of All Nations, but it's a rock that they believe, you know, Jesus uh, wept on through mm. the night, through his last night. And I didn't expect to have a spiritual experience there. I actually come in there going, I very much doubt that this is the actual rock, you know, <laughs> but people were touching it. So I was like, okay, I'll touch it. And so it was during a, a very hard season in my life where I had experienced just a, a deep amount of betrayal and pain um, through ministry. And, and, and it, I was, I was really hurting at that, at that point in our life. And uh, when I put my hand down on that, that rock, I just felt Jesus speak to me very clearly that, that to follow him is to join him in this type of suffering. Mm -hmm. And it includes betrayal and it includes, you know, pain and it includes seasons of anonymity. Mm -hmm. um, And that it's a, it's an act of intimacy to share that cup of suffering Mm -hmm. with him. And so if I want to walk in intimacy with him, it's going to include some measure of suffering and my suffering will always be smaller than what his was. And so that was just an incredible moment of, of communion with him, Mm -hmm. you know, but also just perspective. Okay. Whatever I'm, whatever I'm dealing with is, is still fractional compared to what he endured for Mm -hmm. us, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was actually just a really amazing moment. Wow. Anna, um, you know, I so appreciate you being here. I wonder if there's like any last bit of encouragement you would want to give pastors who are hearing you talk about suffering and betrayal mm-hmm. and ministry and and having, you know, being aware of their own wounding. Like, what would you say to them? Or just not even pastors, but anyone, yeah. you know, lay people too. Yeah. So I have a, a dear friend in, in Northern Iowa. She's kind of a, a mentory type role in my life. And I was, it was actually in that same season with the Rock of Agony, we were talking about pain and what to do with it and how much suffering there actually is in this life. And she said, you know, it's okay to cry. You just cry with your face lifted upward Mm. so that your tears water your heart. (laughs) And that sounds so corny (laughs) when I say it, but there's such a difference between, you know, weeping face down without hope and weeping chin up with Mm. hope. And I I do, I I, I try to keep my eyes on Christ as things happen that I don't understand when we, you know, experience betrayal or, or loneliness, or like this most recent season has been rejection. Jesus experienced all of those things and he somehow leveraged them to move closer to his dad. Mm. And so I want to do the same thing in my in my life. And so I just try to remember to, you know, when I cry, 
cry upward and and let him keep my heart soft uh, despite how much things hurt. Wow, Anna. Thank you so much for being here. I just really appreciate you. It's been a real joy, Heather. You are one of my favorite people and it was such an honor to be on your podcast. Thanks for listening in on my conversation with Pastor Anna Thorson. You can follow Anna on her blog at agreatuntethering.com or find the link to that and other resources we mentioned in the show notes. Also, if you want to support the podcast in spirit or with your bank account, you can subscribe to it at yprb.substack.com or give it a rating on your favorite podcast listening platform. Every review and every rating helps get the word out to more listeners. Once again, I'm your host, Heather Weber. For more information about me and my ministry, head on over to my website at heatherweber.org. That's Weber with one B. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you pick up a great book today.